Welcome to the Head Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson. This podcast is brought to you by Next and Agri, and we cover all things livestock through the amazing stories of the people that farm them, study them, or provide support to this exciting industry. At Next and Agri, we bridge the gap between farming, science, and innovation, and we really do live out our tagline of farming in our hearts, science in our heads. It brings me great pleasure to say this is our third season of this podcast. A huge thanks for listening in. We really do love playing a small part in your weekly routine. This season, we are super excited to be launching the Next in Agri Hub, or the Hub as we refer to it. This is a place where our Next in Agri and our Head Shepherd communities can come together, share thoughts, share challenges, and hear directly from the team here at Next in Agri. If you haven't already, I really encourage you to check it out at thehub.nextinagri.com. We're delighted that Allflex are again sponsoring the Head Shepherd podcast this season. The Allflex team provide a great service and a great product. And we really do enjoy our long-standing relationship with the Allflex team. Get in touch with the Allflex team for any of your tagging requirements. Righto, let's go with this week's episode. Welcome back to the Head Shepherd Podcast. This week we have Hunter McGregor all the way from Shanghai. Welcome, Hunter. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you. All right. So I know very little about selling meat in China, so this is going to be quite an interesting chat. Um, we might just start with a bit of your background, how you ended up being in Shanghai? Uh, well, yeah, you know, I'm Kiwi originally from central Otago. Uh, so I grew up in a small town called Roxburgh, which is halfway between Dunedin and Queenstown. Um, and my parents had an orchard, but also uh, my father always had interest in deer. So, um, you know, that's a connection why I've ended up sort of selling venison in China. And then, you know, I uh, university high school in Dunedin. And then when I finished university i did a marketing degree um and had a lot of a lot of time um in a, in a pub in, a, in my university days <laughs> and then uh in 2001 i actually left new zealand on my oe and i haven't been back uh to to, to live anyway uh full time since then so i went to perth uh where i got some family and uh i went over there and actually my first job out of university was with whamco which is the west australian meat marketing cooperative and I was just sort of a, a trainee uh, in their main office. And then from there, I was playing rugby and I blew my knee out. And I had two knee reconstructions, which sort of changed everything because I was pretty focused on rugby at, at that point. And uh, I went to South Korea uh, once my knee was sort of sort of fixed and well, kind of fixed. And then uh, from there, I was teaching English in South Korea. I was, going to, I was originally going to go there for a year and then, then head off to the UK like everybody else. Um, quite enjoyed it. It was good money. Um, it was very little work. And then you know, after a few years, I decided I wanted to learn a language. So in 2007, I just packed up everything and moved by myself to the north of China to study Chinese um, and still in China since then. So that's sort of the the, the, the shorter version of, uh, of how I ended up in China. Excellent. So full immersion is a good way to learn a language? Yeah, well, I, I, at the time, I just sort of Googled um, where's the best part of China to learn Chinese, um, and the accent is a bit clearer in the, uh, in the north. So, yeah, I just sort of jumped in and, um, yeah, just did a, a full semester full-time, um, and then, you know, I went back to teaching English 10 hours a week and, and – sort of living on the edge of town and, and yeah, 
just putting myself in a position where I had to speak Chinese um, and you know learn Chinese, and it was pretty tough. Yeah, definitely, but completely fluent now, I guess, after a decade oh, or so. Oh, I'm conversational. Um, I definitely can always get better, um, but I'm good enough to. You know, I had had a meeting the other day, uh, fully in Chinese, and I kind of understood what I was going getting on about. So you know, <laughs> um, you know, there's it, it, always. I always like to improve the, you know, the, the more China, it's like anything in China, the more you understand, the actually less you know. Um, so, you know, it's a pretty complex language, but, you know, I can get by day to day and, 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 and things like that. No problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Rada Food, uh, importing venison from New Zealand or from elsewhere? Or? Yeah. No, no. For, actually from, uh, from Christchurch. So there's a, a, a small dedicated meat processor called Mountain River Venison um, and they've been around a long time and they are very good at, at what they do and then we have a high quality product it's very niche um, and they you know do a really good job of pulling the animal apart into different cuts um, and, and putting them into different markets so yeah we have uh, you know we have the biggest range of venison um, or import of venison in China uh, you know, we have 20 cuts and we're constantly changing and adjusting our product mix to the, the market, which is, yeah, which is really interesting. Yeah. So it turns up frozen or fresh, cryovac fresh? Or? Uh, it's all frozen. It's all frozen. So there's yeah. no, you can't actually import chilled venison uh, into China at the moment. There's no protocol, which is good because it gives me a bit of time to sell it because it's, um, yeah. you know, it's not, a, not an easy, easy protein to, to sell. That's awesome to get a frozen market there's heaps more flexibility <laughs> yeah definitely i you know, if it was chilled you probably could you it, it wouldn't but it wouldn't work in china it's it, the price would go too high and then it wouldn't be enough volume so at the moment anyway that will that change i'm not too sure so what is the i guess market acceptance of venison is it Wildly, widely consumed, not wildly. <laughs> not, not, not wildly. We had a, had a few issues last year around that. But um, to be honest, there, when if you well, when we started, if you did some market research, they would say that there'll be no market for venison in China, or especially New Zealand venison. Um, it's a new product uh, for the Chinese consumer, and they have you know there's a local equivalent. It's not like lamb. You know there is some really good. Chinese lamb produced in China, um, so everyone's you know, and beef is starting to get a little bit better as well with the feedlots and stuff. It, the technology and genetics are putting in up, but you know, venison there, there is no local equivalent, so um, it's a new product. So you got to teach people how to cook it, um, even chefs. And you know, the product that's in the north of China, it's mainly focused on Chinese medicine, so they don't really care about the meat. You know, it's a byproduct. The focus is on everything but the meat. New Zealand venison, their quality is you know significantly better. So, you know, there's a lot of challenges to get people to to try it. But what we've found, and this is a case everywhere in China, once they've actually consumed it, eaten it, which has been cooked well, or even not cooked, even as a raw tartare or something like that, they really like it. Um, it's different. It's you know so, but you know, there's there's plenty of challenges getting it from the port uh, to the kitchen. And then from the kitchen to the to the table because um, you know uh, chefs here are, a lot of Chinese chefs um, uh, don't have too much skills in the, in the sense of they're not they know how to cook but they don't know how to cook new things uh, they're not interested in new 
new products. They're not like foodies, so to speak. It's more of a cook. They're more. It's more of a job than a passion. Um, so the, you know, some massive challenges. But we've been at it for six years, and you know, COVID was pretty tough on us. But yeah, we're coming out the other side, and I think yeah, we're, there's, there's still plenty of upside in what we do. So we're quite excited. Hey, awesome! It's a big place. I have to find. Only have to get a small proportion eating it and you're away. Yeah, yeah, did right. You know, we folk, we're in Shanghai and and the food culture in Shanghai is a bit more open um, compared to the rest of rest of China. Um, so yeah, but you know, it's like anything. You know, we need to get one person to eat it, and then we just need to quietly scale that up. And you, know, you start small, and you know, we deal with some pretty big companies here, so it, it's it's never easy, but it's a hell of a lot of fun what we do anyway. Well, I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Well, from your Twitter feed, it looks like a few barbecues with a few beers. That doesn't look all bad. Well, yeah, I had a had a barbecue. Yeah, the other day It was the first time in about twelve months. So yeah, no, I've, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, 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 that was business. So it was good promotion. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are the products that sell mainly? Well, you know, with us, it depends on where it goes. You know, every restaurant is is different. So we have, you know, wintertime, you know, a lot of sort of slow-cooked braising dishes work really well. Um, and then summertime, it's sort of, you know, a lot of those restaurants that don't buy it in winter, they probably use it in summer. So it all depends on the restaurant and then on the chef. Now, we're focused at the moment on, on the Western kitchen. So it's a little bit easier. It's a bit more familiar with regards to how you would, how most people would see venison cooked. Um, you know, there's a there's a there's a conception here. You know, people think, oh, Chinese people, you've got to cook meat well done. They don't have medium rare steaks in China, and they they don't do that. That's completely rubbish in in Shanghai and in all the big cities. You know, you go to a steakhouse and it's full of beef. Everyone's having it medium rare, or, or you know, or how you'd have it um, around the world. So you know, the, the the idea is, you know, we sell a lot of tartar, a lot of raw tartar and capaccio cuts. Um, at this time of the year, which you traditionally wouldn't think a Chinese person wouldn't eat that, but they do, you know. So it's all different depending on the on the location, the chef, um, and their clientele, you know. And we just we offer a massive range of options for them. We give them, I give them a bit of bit of guidance at the start and say this is what other people are doing, and then they go for it. And I just sort of step back. We deal with some Michelin star restaurants and all that sort of stuff. So it's yeah, they do their thing, and yeah, which is always great. Always surprising to see what they actually do with the product. Yeah, indeed. So you're selling all into food service or some direct to consumer? Or? Yeah, well, we've just sort of. Well, I've spent the last five years selling a little bit to to my friends and and bits and pieces like that. And we've just started to really focus on direct to consumer ourselves. But you know, ninety nine point nine percent of our business is food service. Um, but yeah, you know, I see that the. The, the, the home chef, the people that like cooking at home, um, there's an opportunity to target them here uh, with, with some really high-quality products. So um, let's see. Yeah, okay. So you you have a tight specs on what you take out of Christchurch or is it? Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it's we adjust it to the market. So if you take our shank, for example, the venison shank, we've gone through nine different packaging sizes, weight cuts, different things adjusted it to the market you know and we've just gone into our 10th packaging sort of size and 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 stuff so 
Yeah, the market researchers, hey, here's our product, you want to buy it? No, okay, why not? And then we can try to see if we can adjust it sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's really hard to do market research in China if they don't actually understand the product in the first place. So we just bring up some product and think, oh, maybe that cut might work and we give it a go. If it doesn't, then we don't bring it up again sort of thing. And, you know, we know what works well but yeah the the the, the processing facility guys um they do a really good job the specification is is you know the quality is very good um very consistent and that's the main thing you know having a consistency um of, of a product you know right from the right from the farm gate right through to the to the to the kitchen you know the the quality of our product has been very good over the last 5 years which is which is fantastic definitely so you can sort of load up in November, December, January, can you and and then use that product, or you keep, or you're killing all year round for? Oh, they, they process uh, about 10, 11 months of the year. Yeah, obviously they have a peak um, later in the year, but the problem is it's, it's like you know if you have a, a, a peak production, it usually doesn't match the peak eating time. You know, no. <laughs> you know so yeah, that's why it, it, a frozen product it gives you enough time to bring some up, and then you know shipping's an issue. Uh, at the moment, it's going to get worse probably before it gets better. You know, importation of product into China is not easy. Um, it takes time. So, you know, we've got to have a big lead time. So, yeah, it, 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 it's it's a cha- it's challenging, but, you know, having a not being so rushed with a, with a frozen product really helps and we can you know, move some chess pieces around and, and play a bit of a long game, which is good. Yeah, that would be massively helpful. Yeah. So it's all yearling product or...? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because the, 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 the quality, you know, the feedback we've got over the last five years is that we haven't had any problems with the quality or consistency of the of the product um, from chefs. We've had plenty of challenges around them not being able to sell it in their restaurant, and all the all the good things around about that. You know, the, the challenges around that, but you know, the, the product is very consistent, which is great. So. You know, and hats off to the the, the team in, in New Zealand because they managed to make sure that what they put in the box is very consistent, which is good. Excellent. Which is what you need, you know. Yeah, it underpins any any market, especially food related. Yeah. So you're a one man band selling with venison, or is a you got? A- well, we've got a, we've got a team in behind me. Um, I like people to think that that you know, if if they think that I'm a one man band, then we'll just keep. People thinking that I'm a one man band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, can't do everything by yourself. No. Um, you know, so we've got a, a small team uh, in behind me. But you know, COVID really made things challenging last year. Um, so we yeah we had to reduce you know cut a, cut a, call our, our costs because sales sort of collapsed for a while. Yeah. Um, but you know, China's been operating pretty well since about May, May last year, especially Shanghai. We've had a few challenges around COVID, but we haven't had any lockdowns. Uh, parts of the city was being locked down, but you know it, it's been quite fickle. So last year, for example, you know November was terrible in Shanghai. You know there was a few cases of COVID in a part of the city. They locked that area down. The rest of the city operated, but food and beverage wise, it all sort of came to a screaming halt. And then December was probably the busiest December for just about everybody. Um, it was super busy. And then in January. This year, um, a few more COVID cases right downtown Shanghai, this, uh, and everything stopped. And then Chinese New Year was in February, or well, late January, early February, um, and it was massively busy. So, um, 
you know, it was, yeah, so it's, it's hit and miss. But at the moment, it's been quite consistent for a few months. And, you know, we're heading into a warmer weather up here, uh, which means that, um, you know, I think you know, things are, are looking good. So fingers crossed we, we continue to keep moving around and people keep going out to uh, restaurants to eat. You know, it's, uh, it's good. Definitely. That presents some lovely challenges for someone with a fair bit of lead time to have demand going <laughs> up and down all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. No, it, it, but but you know, it is what it is, and you know, we we make sure that the the key items we have um we have stock for. But the other thing that we do, um, which is very different to to a lot of other distributors, is that um yeah, if someone's going to put our product on the on the menu, I ask them you know what cut and how, what's their sort of predictive volume, and if we can't supply, I tell them to stop before it goes on yeah um yeah and if uh, you know and you see it with all the time with chinese distributors is that they just sell 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 uh we're out of product oh no we'll have to replace it with something else they don't care i i don't like to do that because it makes what well, pisses everybody off really all the restaurants and stuff yeah. and i met a chef you know this week uh had that problem you know uh with they actually put new zealand beef onto his uh menu um which is quite surprising um because new zealand beef doesn't do that well up here and yeah like the product asked the distributor um was yeah they have enough stock for him yes put it on two weeks later he went to reorder and they said oh we're out of stock for a couple of months while waiting for a new shipment and he's like well it it just doesn't work like that you know he's really pissed off and and then his boss and the restaurant's all pissed off as well so it's it it, it doesn't help anybody so you know we're we're pretty you know we've made you know we don't just sell 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 it's we want to sell to the right people make sure that we can supply them and look after them yeah what was the reason for tackling venison obviously there was the background with your father involved in all that sort of stuff but is it just it's a different product and there's a bit of bit of blue ocean there or yeah, well, you know, when people say it can't be done, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know I, I I always say to people, you know, I'm the I'm the I'm the venison, I'm the the one that's silly enough to sell to try to sell venison in China, but you know, if if you think about it, you know, the Chinese people, you know, they eat just about everything, and I've eaten all of what they, you know, I, most of what they've eaten, you know, um, so they eat a lot of different animals, and they also eat offal and all that sort of stuff, so it's just matter of trying to position it in the right space so but you know it, it was an opportunity um and you know we, we just jumped at it and, and got into it and it's a real point of difference you know we we're into as i said we supply a number of michelin star restaurants and all the top end of, of of shanghai most of them beijing and a few other places um if they they're not buying our product uh, at least they know who we are so that that that's really um Quite, it gives us quite a unique position because our distribution and our our, our network is um is quite unique. And trying to do that with a beef or a lamb, um, yeah, it's, it's bloody hard work. Yeah, definitely. Smart enough not to tell a kiwi they can't do something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, some good ingenuity. So there's no. What's the? I guess what's the future right of food? You you don't see it expanding into other meats. Just focus on venison. Uh. There's definitely opportunity. Um, it, it's just a matter of picking the right time, to be honest. Um, there's still a, a lot more upside in what we're doing with venison. Um, we're only sort of scratching the surface. And I think January last year, but just before COVID, we were starting to really get a, some good momentum and had some 
some big opportunities coming up. So, but you know, it, it's it's about focus. If we start selling beef and lamb or or something else, you know, you start to lose focus. So, um, it's just a matter of the point of difference is venison, and we've got a good quality product. So, we just want to make sure that we can actually drive that, keep continue to drive that forward and and, and grow. Um, there are other opportunities we're always looking at, but I always discuss with people I meet, you know, about beef and lamb and, and and things like that and other proteins. So have a good understanding of what's happening and what the challenges are. And there, there could be some opportunities in the future, but at this stage, we're just, it's just venison. Um, and there's a hell of a lot more upside. You know, we're trying to push into the Chinese restaurant scene, uh, which is challenging. But, you know, that that's a bigger market and it's 10 or 20 times bigger than the Western restaurant market. So, now, if we can get a, a foothold into a few of those places, then the volume significantly increases and the business completely changes. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure there's plenty of Kiwi venison producers right now that'd be cheering for you, no doubt. Well, you know, it, it's it's taken, you know, we, we've been in a few Chinese restaurants um, over the, the years, but it's just, it's really tough. It's a completely different mindset and different approach. Um, and, it's challenging, yeah. Even though I can I can speak enough Chinese to sort of understand and and to get in, but they're just very different machines than and businesses than what a Western kitchen is. So, but you know it, we're getting there, and I, I think we're we're sort of heading in the right direction, as I say to everyone when people ask me. But anything in China, it's a couple of steps forward, two back, three sideways, um, and then you sort of go, "Oh God, blimey, you know, what the hell am I doing here?" And and then you keep going, sort of thing. You know, it's. Uh, but but you know it, it, it's good. But I don't think you know venison's going to um, explode into the Chinese cuisine in, in the short term. Um, I'm hoping long term it will. It's going to take a, a, a hell of a lot more work to, to to get it get it up and running. And you know I see that the other I see Alliance and Silver Fern have got some product in the market now, which is you know they haven't been for for a few years. Um, and be interesting to see how they go. Um, because it's it's challenging. It's a challenging place to operate a business. Full stop. So uh, yeah. But anyway, we'll uh, we'll see how we go. We'll keep you updated. Yeah, cool. Is there any leverage off like the velvet market, or that's just not linked at all? Um, I, the, the the whole Chinese medicine thing. I think it's more of a hindrance than. Yeah, um, right. But it, there could be some opportunities to put some items on some menus with the, with that with that um, thing. But if you look at traditionally in China, the, the the deer farms are in the north of China, so they're up by you know, North Korea and around below Mongolia and all that sort of area of China. That's where the majority of the deer farms are, where all the velvet goes for processing and things like that. And the problem is that. The locals up there, um, and you know, even into Beijing to some extent, um, the locals up there think they understand venison, so they don't really want to try New Zealand venison. But you know, as I said before, it's a completely different product. So, and then you go down south, and they go, "What's a heating meat?" You know, the whole the whole thing. The Chinese consumer sort of thinks venison is a heating meat. Um, you know, so it's you know, you, it's, you keeps you warm, your body warm, so it's good for winter. Um, and then the, some of them are afraid because if they eat it, they might get a bleeding nose. And it's like, okay, yeah, it, but we're New Zealand venison, we're different, you know, a different grow. I've been to some deer farms up in the north of China and, you know, it's chalk and cheese between the free-range grass-fed you know, farming system in New Zealand 
compared to a feedlot in you know, the north of China, which is quite depressing, and they don't really feed the animals that well. And all those, all those, uh, yeah, animal welfare here in China is a lot different to New yeah. Zealand. So you know, the, the quality of the product is is, you know, is is chalk and cheese. So run me through: is there heating mates and cooling mates in? Well, I think so. I don't really know, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing is that Chinese food's so complex. You've got sort of, there's eight sort of major food groups, you know, but then everything splinters off. So let's just take Beijing and Shanghai for an example. Culturally, the cities are very different. Um, you know, languages are different. So Shanghai has its own language. Beijing has sort of more Mandarin. Shanghai has Shanghainese. The food in Beijing, it's more skewers of meat they're more meat meat and potatoes meat and noodles um and they drink a hell of a lot of beer so you know i like going to beijing in the summer months because everyone's sitting outside with skewers of lamb drinking cold beer they've usually got the shirts off um it's quite a quite an interesting sight you know, all the guys they call it the beijing bikini um you should look at <laughs> look at that and you know the guys will sort of roll up their shirts and have their big bellies out and stuff and um so you know that's beijing and they drink a hell of a lot of beer they drink hard liquor um and they eat a lot of meat in shanghai you know it's traditionally it's seafood you know they're on the sea you know it's a lot of seafood but also the, the local food here is a little bit sweeter they put a bit more sugar in it. So, you know, and then you can do that to 100 different cities in China. Um, you know, yeah, Sichuan is, is spicy. You know, there's, there's Canton, you know, which is Hong Kong, Guangzhou area, which is completely different again, you know, and it, it, it's just so complex. And that's a good thing about China is that, um, you know, every, you know, I've been here what, 14 years now, but I'm still starting to scratch the surface on the differences and nuances between each, each place. And, um, you know, there's, there's opportunities to put New Zealand venison or New Zealand beef or New Zealand lamb or Australian beef into different areas. Um, and you only need to sort of focus on a few things and hopefully do them well. And then yeah, you can get some volume through. But, um, yeah, so it, it's, it's a complex place. And that's why I enjoy, you know, operating a business up here. You know, it's good fun. Sounds like a nice challenge, definitely. Yeah. How is life in Shanghai? How does how that compare to Christchurch? <laughs> uh, it'd be very, it's probably just more more people. Yeah. Um, yeah, Shanghai, as I say, to people, it's quite especially where I live in Shanghai. It's a little bit of a bubble. It's not really China in the sense it's quite inter, you know, quite Westernized, quite international. You know, we've got I uh, you know with walking distance from my office or my home, I've probably got five bars which I can go watch a rugby game in. You know, there was there was an explosion of wine bars a few years ago, explosion of brew pubs, explosion of um, coffee shops. Now there's you know bakery. So Shanghai itself, I, you know, I I love Shanghai because it's very international, but it's still Chinese. You get out of Shanghai and and, and things change again. But it's yeah, a lot of people are surprised how modern, how clean, how advanced Shanghai is. It's not really a you know, there's parts of China that struggle for power um they don't have consistent you know you know there's some real poverty in different parts of china but shanghai is a, a modern you know high-tech city with you know subways and elevated highways and everything so it, it's it's very different to the rest of china so it's it's a good place to live and i can speak enough chinese to be comfortable here at, and i've just started driving a car around so you know i take on the chinese roads which is interesting as well 
um, bit different to, to to the South Island of New Zealand, but um, yeah, that's no, all good. I think I saw on Twitter there might have been a little mishap with that car. Or? Yeah, well, yeah, someone, yeah, yeah, it was about snail's pace, and yeah, I, someone, I bumper to bumper action. Um, and it was an interesting process. The police were there and had a discussion and um, had a negotiation, and then the police, well, the police were sort of trying to find out what was going on, and then they said, "Right, oh, you two, you two can work it out," and then they walked away. So um, we negotiate with the guy, paid him a little bit of cash, and he buggered off, and yeah, you know, we, we 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 drove as well. So yeah, it's just it was it was really interesting. It was a more there was paint off our car just on just by the back wheel, and there was nothing on is a bit on his bumper, and it wasn't yeah wasn't too major, but yeah, it was interesting and uh, just part of life here, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've never, never been game to drive anywhere in Asia, but I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll bring myself to it one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, other proteins that are obviously Australia and New Zealand have been chasing, getting sheep and beef products into into China. How what's what's tracking in beef? Well, it, it's really interesting. You know, when you open a restaurant here, um, you know, everyone wants to have. You know, there's some must-have items. And unfortunately, they're not New Zealand proteins; they're Australian. It's it's changing a bit now, but you know, Australian beef here um, at the top end uh, food service restaurants here dominates. Most of our listeners are in Australia, mate. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, 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 to, to be honest, it does. You know, it, it, it's sort of yeah. But you think about you know the Chinese consumer; they want well, they want a fatty piece of meat. But then they complain how fatty it is, so you know it's a little bit, a little bit strange. But you know, when people open a restaurant here, they put Australian beef on the menu. It's sort of a must-have protein. Unfortunately, it's not New Zealand venison. But what's happening with um, the challenges around the, the political situation at the moment between China and, and Australia is that as Australian beef becomes harder and harder to get hold of, people are moving towards some of the grain-fed South American stuff, the Wagyu's and the Angus and Hereford sort of brands out of South America and North American beef. Um, you know, the, the USA beef is is pretty much on the same level as importance as the Australian beef. Yeah, and unfortunately, New Zealand beef, you know, the grass-fed thing, it doesn't operate here in the high-end food service. You know, there's, there's one restaurant that I know at the moment, uh, there was another one, but there was one that has um, New Zealand beef on it and it's run by a Kiwi chef. So that's why it is. But you know, you go into a restaurant and you have, you know, you have, you have, you have Blackmores or Rangers Valley or you know these big was a uh, there's a whole heap of Australian brands. Those feedlot stuff they dominate. Um, and then on the lamb side of things, it's more New Zealand. Um, I actually don't see too much Australian lamb up here at the moment uh, in in food in food service. Um, I'm sure there's stuff coming in, but you know, the New Zealand lamb sort of sort of dominates. Um, and yeah, there's sort of two brands that sort of stick out. Tamana Lamb out of you know, Alliance's brand, which is which is going very well at the top end here. And the other one is Coastal Lamb. Coastal Lamb sort of came in four or, five, or three or four years ago and really took out the top end. And but I have seen very little um, Australian lamb in uh, top end restaurants because, to be honest, with lamb now, is a lot of restaurants are now switching over to local lamb. Because the quality mm. is starting to lift, and I, I think it's mainly you know yeah yeah of course they're probably feeding the animals better now, um, and the genetics are improving, but also the probably the processing um, of the animals here are improving, 
So, you know, I know a lot of restaurants that use local lamb um, and they're very happy with it. Good price, consistent quality, consistency in supply. So, you know, there's, there's some real challenges uh, for the, 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 you know, there's a real big local player here. You know, and there's, no, there's, there's a lot of them you know, out the north of China or out of the west. So, um, but beef, local beef is just not up to standard yet. But I'll be surprised in a, in a few years' time. You know, the, a feedlotted Chinese beef, you know, will, will, will start to play in the top end space. So don't do it yet. Um, so, but yeah, you know, there's, there's pl- the market's always moving, um, and there's always plenty of challenges and stuff. So, um, you know, this, you know, in twelve months' time, you know, the, the things could change again. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. There's that move to the local product. Is that just on price, or is there a I mean, we see in, I guess, in the Western world, a preference for close to home sort of products. Is that feature at all, or it's just a quality price sort of factor? Uh, the, the, the consumer here, um, it, it, there is a big change towards you know, close to home. It's the same thing that's happened here. There's been a, a, a big move, you know, and just in general, you know, 10 years ago, if you're a foreign brand, Chinese consumers would like you. But now, it, there's a you know you've got to actually appeal to the consumer's needs um so and people prefer to buy local as well um and it, it, it is especially in lamb you know for example here in shanghai they have a very seasonal um like a chongmen chongmen island is just an island near shanghai it's literally actually in shanghai city and they have a goat um which is absolutely terrible. It tastes disgusting, but the locals love it. And you know, for a couple of months of the year, it's everywhere, um, and it smells and it's disgusting. But it's local and it's seasonal, and you know they really like it. Um, you know, but I think the Chinese consumer is now more open to local brands and local products and local produce, and that's changing. So you've really got to appeal. Uh, it's harder to sell imported products than what it was five years ago and it's going to become harder so you've got to have more than just being from australia or just from new zealand it needs to go a lot further than that um and you know it's 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 a challenge um and you know the market's going to move more in that direction of you know local fresh the chinese always like fresh stuff always like live fish live crayfish you know live seafood fresher is is better um so for them so it's quite hard if you're halfway around the world how do you appeal to them um which is yeah. which is a challenge but also an opportunity you know um there, there is different you've got there's different attributes that we can highlight as you know as from the southern hemisphere coming up to, to here so but the consumer one thing about the consumer here they're always going to change it's always going to be different um and you got to sort of follow the trends or set your own trend you know yeah definitely that's no, really interesting is there any other sort of trends that you see impacting on consumer preference? Well, you know, COVID has had a, had a big impact on everything. If you, you know, e-commerce here is, um, is massive. You know, you talk about this, the, 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 you know, what's happening around the world with e-commerce and stuff. China is more advanced and just, COVID sort of pushed it further ahead. Um, so if you want to see what's happening, what's coming uh, to the rest of the world e-commerce-wise, you know, you can look. In China, yeah, you know, for example, live streaming. Um, you know, there's you, you can do every payments and stuff are, are cheap, fast, and free online. Um, delivery, you know, I can get stuff delivered to my home within thirty minutes from a supermarket. 
there's no delivery fees. Um, you know, so the speed of change, the speed of things, um, everything here, you know, e-commerce-wise, is becoming more and more advanced. But the problem is, the challenge is, if you're just doing stuff online, there's so much noise, you can't. It's really expensive to do stuff just online. So you've got to try to do that mix online and offline, and try to create some interest. You know, especially with the food, you got to get people to experience it. Um, so. If you're just focusing on online, you're going to probably really struggle because it's really expensive. If you're just focusing on offline, you're going to be left behind. So you're just trying to get that mix right. And that's a, that's what we're trying to do ourselves. You know, we're hosting little events to create some interest in our product, to get people to try to cook it at home, go to a restaurant, partner with a restaurant. And that's the other thing with Australian beef is that, um, you know, it does very well, especially in Shanghai, is that you go into a top steakhouse and half the menu is Australian beef. You go into a supermarket, half the beef on the shelf is Australian beef. So the consumer is sort of always seeing it all the time, and then you can buy it all online, obviously. And that's where New Zealand is, is, is not, we're not, we're, we're not doing as well on that front, especially in Shanghai, is that the people that go to steakhouses like eating steak, and they spend an awful lot of money. You know, I went to one the other day, and you can spend $1,000 on a, on, a, on a tomahawk steak in in uh in china quite easily it's a couple of you know, four or five kilos or whatever but and people do so people that go to those restaurants like this and then they go to the supermarket and they see australian beef again so they you know obviously they're going to buy that again so you've got to work online and offline and it's all mixing together to marketing and, and try to find a niche that works for you so it's 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 a complex place and then you know beijing's different again and then shanghai you know it's different to guangzhou xian you know you could i could name a whole heap of cities um and everything's different again but uh yeah so there's lots of things happening um and it's never a dull moment up here no sounds awesome i mean yeah really really interesting chat i've learned a lot and i hope i'm sure listeners have learned a lot about i guess it's hard from the other side of the world to understand that such a complex market is China and it's been great to get your insights yeah no thank you well that's a wrap for another episode of the Head Shepherd Podcast many thanks for listening you've been with Mark Ferguson the Head Shepherd Podcast is produced by Sophie Barnes with support from Paula Gilton and a reminder to check out the hub.nextgenagri.com for all things livestock ask your questions and have your say and before we wrap this episode up really want to again thank our sponsors Allflex Livestock Intelligence great company, great people and a great product so I encourage you to go out there and order those Allflex tags today so you can start recording more information and start breeding better and better livestock thanks for listening, cheers